This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Herd mentality. That's the nothing personal word of the day, phrase of the day. Herd mentality describes a behavior in which people act the same way or adopt similar behaviors as the people around them, often ignoring their own feelings in the process. Herd mentality. It's the single most dangerous type of mentality, in my opinion, and I'm not exaggerating. Herd mentality means that you take away your view of a situation. When you see people around you doing something, you do it. Your mother used to say to you, if your friend jumps off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff? Peer pressure is a very real thing, and it doesn't stop in elementary school, middle school, high school, college. It happens in your office. It happens in your home. It happens with your friends. Herd mentality has gone on during the course of history, which has actually caused murder, mass genocide. Herd mentality is something that happens in baseball. Let's just say you're in your clubhouse. You've got... 25 to 30 guys, a bunch of front office people. And it can be really easy to look left and look right and see a behavior and pattern your behavior after that behavior. Why am I bringing this up on a random Friday? Because the manager of the, by the way, Coca, it is one nothing me. In our topic notes, I have... Joey Cora written down, and you did not correct it to Alex. That is your job. He's trying to double back right now and say, I did it in my description of the show. I said it was Alex Cora. Okay. Well, what good is that when I'm staring at Joey's name? So Joey was the bench coach for Ozzie Gian for us in 2012. We had him for a year and then fired him, but paid him for... I think two, three, four, something amazing. His brother, Alex, was the manager of the Red Sox, got fired after the Astros sign-stealing scandal because he was the bench coach for the Astros in 2017 when the Astros won the World Series. It was discovered that he, along with Carlos Beltran, were the main people in this sign-stealing scandal. And Alex Corris said, you know what? I'm going to step up and I'm going to say a few words. And so he did. Yesterday, Alex Cora said that I did not act alone. This was not a two-man operation. 
everybody in that clubhouse was culpable, including those who say they're not. He apologized. He acknowledged. He did all the things you're supposed to do from a PR standpoint when you're trying to move forward. He did all the things that Jeff Lunau, the president of baseball operations for the Houston Astros, the erstwhile president of baseball operations, the fired, ousted, see you later, Jeff Lunau, along with their manager, A.J. Hinch. But Jeff Lunau, at the time that he was let go, did not follow our 30-minute rule. The 30-minute rule where when you're emotional, you don't say a word, you don't tweet, you don't talk, you don't make decisions on players, you don't send them down, you don't bring them up, you don't do anything. Jeff Lunau came out and said, I had no idea this was going on. We said at the time on Nothing Personal, and we stick to it on Nothing Personal, Jeff Lunau knew exactly what was going on. It is impossible that Jeff Lunau did not know about trash cans being banged or the fact that there were center field cameras. Jeff Lunau absolutely knew it all, but he's sticking to his story like the football player in the hammock. Do I have to repeat, repeat the football player hammock story, Coca? Do you think people know what it is to stick to a story no matter what? There was a story told at the end of Sports Illustrated many decades ago about a player who was out all night, got home, stumbled in in the morning. His wife said, where have you been? And he said, very simply, I'm sorry. I fell asleep on the hammock in the front yard. The wife looked at him and said, the hammock in the front yard has been gone for three years. The player looked back at his wife and said, very simply, well, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So Jeff Lunau stuck to his story, saying he had no idea. Alex Cora, in his words yesterday, he was very clear that everybody knew. Pitchers for the Astros have come out and said, we were in the bullpen. What do we know? We're in the bullpen. We're eating candy. We're getting ready. We're a little eccentric. Really? Many of the players have actually acknowledged their responsibility. They've acknowledged the fact that they took part in it. Some of them have said, hey, it was going on. I should have stopped it. Alex Chorus said, I take responsibility. I didn't realize it was going to become so big and so out of control. A.J. Hinch has said, I tried to stop it. I would hit the TV that they used right outside the dugout in order to get the signs given to the people on the bench in order to hit the garbage can to get it to the players who would use Tuzuzim to hit the ball. Those are all examples of herd mentality. Those are all examples of herd mentality gone wrong. The question is, how do you get the strength? And that's sort of what I wanted to think about today. It's called peer pressure for a reason because you feel pressure. It's called herd mentality for a reason because you end up doing what you may not believe is right or just or fair, but you do it because you see it around you. It's a mentality that is very hard to break. Why is that? And as I was thinking about today's show, it occurred to me, I figured it out. The reason why so many people engage in herd mentality it goes back to the conversation that we've had about leaders and followers. Followers, by definition, do what leaders do. 
It is so important for leaders to lead correctly and honorably and honestly because the followers are going to engage in that herd mentality and simply do as they are told because by definition, that's what they are. And when you're inside a clubhouse, it's not a group of 25 leaders. It's a group of maybe two or three leaders and 22 or 23 followers. Plus, within the front office, there are leaders that are followers. Within the clubhouse ecosystem with clubbies and trainers and psychologists and doctors and masseuses, there is a hierarchy of leaders and of followers. There's an entire legal concept that revolves around whistleblowers. Whistleblowers are protected by law because they're certainly not protected by companies. They're certainly not protected by anyone around them because by definition, whistleblowers are trying to buck the herd mentality trend. They see something wrong and they want to do something about it. And they had been followers and they're trying to now become a leader. The reason why there's so few whistleblowers around, do you know how hard it is when you are a follower to be a leader? It's almost impossible. As impossible as it is for a leader to ever become a follower. The hardest thing to do is to know which one you are and to embrace it because there's nothing wrong with being a follower. There's nothing wrong with being a leader. You need both. They actually exist only because of each other. So how does a follower in a clubhouse, when he sees cheating, what does he do? You're a second-year guy. You have great respect for the veterans in your clubhouse. You have Carlos Beltran involved, who is the godfather of a clubhouse, a veteran who's done it all and seen it all. It's impossible to stand up as a second-year player and say, I will not allow this. And by the way, I am going to the press. I'm going to the owner. I'm going to the general manager. I'm going to the manager. It is impossible. The only time I ever had players come to me blowing the whistle on anything going on inside a clubhouse was because they wanted different, better equipment to train with. They wanted different supplies in the training room, in the weight room. They wanted to say that they're being worked too hard or that the manager isn't pitching them enough. They were basically complaints and asks. I wonder whether if we had been engaging in any sort of illegal activity, I think back to the days of steroids. It's the same thing. Players in the clubhouse knew exactly that their teammates were doing steroids. The players not doing steroids were very aware of their teammates doing steroids. But it's hard. You make a decision that you're going to do what's right. You know that someone on your team is making a decision that's wrong, but helping your team win, which you know is going to make you more money because you're losing out on the amount of money you can make if you do steroids. Like, let's say, a Brady Anderson where you're a 12 home run guy. You hit 50, you make a long-term, get a long-term deal, and all of a sudden go back to hitting 12 to 15 to 20 home runs. What are your teammates going to do? Tell you to stop, maybe, if they're friends, if they care about your future health but they're not going to whistleblow. When, seen, when, scenes, when signs are being stolen, it's very clear what players are going to do. They are going to cooperate and they're going to use the information to make themselves better off. It is incumbent on the leaders of a team and Alex Cora was a leader of that team. As a bench coach, you are a leader. You know you've got 
you know, in a clubhouse, you got one small problem. If you're a leader as a bench coach and you don't agree with your manager, then you have to become a follower of your manager. But if you're a bench coach and you're a leader and your manager believes in what you believe in, then he's got your back and there's something you can do about it. Alex Cora had to have known that A.J. Hinch was not interested in the sign stealing, pretending to hit TVs, unless, of course, A.J. Hinch is full of it. And Alex Cora knew that A.J. Hinch was doing all that as eyewash and that he loved the competitive advantage that came from the garbage cans. Could Alex Cora have then gone to Jeff Lunau? You don't really climb over the corporate structure like that. There are some people who have in my career. I've seen it. It ends up not being that effective leads to the loss of jobs. Think about this weekend about herd mentality and where you have it in your office, in your life, in your family. And Alex Cora, I know, thought about it. And now that he's out of a job, thinking about his rehabilitation, he is speaking up and speaking out. Well, we're doing an early wait to see in the show today because I went on CBS Sports HQ If you saw that segment, they call it a hit. I don't like that word. Hey, what time's your hit? How is your hit this morning? When you've grown up watching Goodfellas and Casino and other such movies, hit, and then you've been in baseball for 18 years, hit, it does not mean being on CBS Sports HQ or any other network for 10 minutes. That's a segment. So I had a segment this morning where I had a way to see that I went public with By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. We have a channel. Thank you for subscribing. It's called the Nothing Personal with David Sampson channel with a different URL, but that'll be changed. I think we're down to 13 days until that's changed. Who's counting? If you have downloaded and listened to this on wherever you get your podcasts, thank you. Make sure you tell your friends, and I appreciate your loyalty. So we're doing wait to see early because on CBS Sports HQ just this morning, Friday, June 12th, I said, and it has now been repeated. Of course, I didn't get credit. I don't care about credit. You know, on tweeting, on tweeting, on tweeting, on, um, on Twitter, when 10 people tweet the same thing, the same bit of information, but then they say at blank first because someone else had it first. I never want to be at first. I'm not a breaking news reporter. I'm not looking for sources. I don't have sources. I just tell you what happens and once it happens and then I tell you sort of what it really means and I'll decode it for you. But I knew that Major League Baseball would submit a proposal to the Major League Baseball Players Association today. And the reason I knew it would happen today on Friday, June 12th, is that people had been rumored and been talking that MLB would respond to the union's latest proposal, which it received on Wednesday, that they would respond yesterday. And I knew that that wasn't going to happen because MLB would never do anything to take any sort of news inches. It used to be called column inches because you were given a certain number of inches in an actually printed newspaper for your article. Now maybe it's number of words or number of minutes that they can put on the top of your article that's on the internet. Hey, you've got five minutes to write an article. We have to put five minutes. Have you ever noticed that? That that's how long that it will take you to read, they tell you. I wonder what the average number of words read by the average person is. In any case, I knew that they would never take away, MLB, would never take away any sort of the spotlight on the draft. We spent years 
trying to deal with the MLB draft and trying to make it more popular and more interesting. Couldn't do it. But the PR department in Major League Baseball has always been very clear. They believe that people can only consume one lane of content at a time. And if there is a proposal from MLB during the course of the draft, it would take away people's focus and attention on the draft. If I had still been in baseball, I would have suggested to Rob Manford, take the opposite approach. It's time to be George Costanza. Everything, remember George Costanza and Seinfeld, the way he wanted to deal with dates and why he was so unsuccessful in the dating world? He decided to try being the anti-George Costanza. Meaning, whenever he thought he wanted to say X, he would say the opposite of X. Whenever he thought he wanted to do Y, he would do the opposite of Y, thinking that may change his luck. So MLB, when you've got a notion or a PR view, I have an idea. Let's do the opposite from now until there's an agreement. Let's do the opposite from now until we have opening day in baseball. Not because I want to shave, just because I want opening day and I want baseball back. Don't waste. There was no reason to waste two days. Every day wasted is one fewer game that baseball can play in this truncated season. Send the proposal as soon as you had it. Give time to the union to respond and get to an agreement and let's get spring training on the calendar. Right now. It's time. Wait to see is that MLB proposal will be delivered today. There's already rumors all over the internet, but Coca will absolutely vouch for me. Vouch for me. I don't know what vouch means. Gouge? Price gouging. He will vouch for me and say that this way to see was submitted prior to anybody being on Twitter. And I'd said it earlier than anyone on HQ this morning. But the wait to see is an MLB proposal will be delivered today. Why is there this sort of rush? Well, because we should be in the middle of a season for starters. Secondly, the negative press that's happening and people's view of baseball is falling daily. But third of all, there are real health concerns. I have been vociferous in my desire and in my lung strength. I blew a 99 on the pulse oximeter this morning. Rare for a Friday. I've been monitoring the pulse oximeter to see any sort of impact Monday to Friday as my week ends after a week of talking on radio, doing segments, doing nothing personal. Went out for a good run and still was able to blow a 99. Of course, you don't blow into a pulse oximeter. You stick your finger in, but I'm just, it's fun to say that. Yeah, I blew a 99. I've been saying that let's play through November. We can do the postseason in November. I've also said we cannot jeopardize the 2021 season the way the NBA is by ending their season so late and then starting their next season so late. Next season needs to start on time. MLB has said from the beginning that they have had scientific and medical information that they are very concerned about a second wave of coronavirus. I'm not sure anyone else in the country is concerned about a second wave. Look at pictures out of Vegas. Look at pictures at bars. Look at people around Florida, where I am. 
Look at people everywhere. I get it. Tired of quarantining, need social contact. I get it. Wilson gets it. Right, Wilson? You're ready to go out. Yes. Wilson actually asked me yesterday whether the first time I actually go to a restaurant or bar, will I take him? Because frankly, he hasn't been out of the house much either. It depends, Wilson. It depends. By the way, we're going to have to get you a fake ID. So I now understand why MLB is concerned about November, except I'm not so sure that they shouldn't be concerned about October and September and August and July. Word is coming out left, right, and center that there are more cases now. There are spikes happening. Florida is an area and a state of interest in terms of more cases as it started to open. Are you shocked by that as a Floridian? I'm not. Arizona, there's 20 states. Remember, NBA, NHL, they are trying to be in one or two places at most. MLB is trying to be in 30 Although I guess two in L.A., two in Chicago, two in New York. That makes it 27. San Francisco and Oakland, that makes it 26. You get the point. But with these increased cases, I understand ending in October because getting the postseason games, that is all that matters financially. The players and the owners are fixated on getting the postseason in. The reason why I'm talking about spikes in COVID-19 is we heard from John Harbaugh today or yesterday. John Harbaugh is Jim Harbaugh's brother. Does that help you? He's the Baltimore Ravens head coach. Does that help you? I think he's won a Super Bowl for the, with the Baltimore Ravens as a head coach. I want to say he was in a Super Bowl against his brother, but I could be totally wrong. I have some strange recollection that the Harbaugh brothers were in a Super Bowl. And yes, thank you, Coca. That was the Super Bowl with Jim Harbaugh, who was the coach of the Niners who had Colin Kaepernick that year. That's a nice little tie-in, except we're talking about COVID, but still worthy. It's a note. It's a nugget. So John Harbaugh said that he has great concerns over the new health protocols that the NFL is asking of the players and of the teams. He actually said he thinks it's humanly impossible to do what the NFL has asked. He read all the memos and he just said in a radio interview, it's impossible. We'll try our hardest, but we can't do these things. We have to practice, practice, practice. Yeah, we got to practice. He's wondering, players are going to shower one at a time? They love gang showers. Players are going to go to the weight room one at a time? What about the huddle? How's that going to go? He was just going through example by example by example. And it got me thinking that while he was expressing his frustrations, he was clear that we're going to do our best. We're going to try, which puts him probably 10 steps ahead of many of the people many of the people around the country who aren't trying because they're just closing their eyes and saying, this is going to go away. Each of the leagues is going to have to deal with this health protocol issue. The reason why we don't have anything confirmed from the NBA or the NHL other than what they're calling a return to play plan, that's all MLB after an agreement comes on economics. There will be a return to play plan. There will be a timeline like the NBA has. 
but none of these timelines are firm. And I don't mean because the NBA switched from July 31st to July 30th. That makes me smile. I'm talking about whether or not it's going to work. Do you know you want your whole bubble in Orlando where tests are positive at an alarming rate and new cases at an alarming rate? You think that Adam Silver, Gary Bettman, Roger Goodell, and Rob Manford, the four commissioners, and Don Garber of MLS, who's already said July 8th, we're playing in Orlando. You don't think that they're staying up night, nights like I am, not sleeping, wondering whether or not it's actually going to come to pass? All of the head coaches and managers in all the sports will have to do better than what John Harbaugh did. They are not going to be able to say it is humanly impossible. There will have to be agreements between the players and the owners where it's not just about being humanly possible. It's about being humanly probable. This is a game of odds. You get one or two or three positive COVID tests, you are in danger of spreading it around your clubhouse like What's the word? Like poison ivy. Ever seen poison ivy spread? What Do you like hanging out with people who have pink eye? Why not? What happens when your friends have pink eye? What do you do? Get away from me. Get away. Don't touch me. Switch towels. That's pink eye. You don't die from pink eye. We'll be right back, and there's going to be some talk of heaven. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back. I promised you heaven, and it's not Brian Adams. It's not Belinda Carlisle. Oh, heaven, do you know what something's something? I think heaven is a place on earth. Find it hard to believe you're in heaven. Nope, it's not Warren Beatty, Heaven Can Wait. It's a movie I watched because my daughter ranks movies. She's putting together her rankings and placed this at or near the top, and I said, I'm going to watch it. It's got Mark Ruffalo in it. It's got Reese Witherspoon in it. 
It's called Just Like Heaven. It's from maybe 10, 15 years ago. It's sort of bizarre. So Reese Witherspoon is a doctor who works all the time and has no social life, and then she's dead. Mark Ruffalo, his wife is dead. He moves into an apartment. Just so happens it's Reese Witherspoon's old apartment, and yada, 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 he can see Reese Witherspoon. She can't see him. And guess what? They fall in love. It's not great when you actually fall in love with someone who's not actually there. But at the end of the day, Mark Ruffalo and Reese Witherspoon go through trying to find what happened to Reese Witherspoon, and they get it. They figure it out. And by the end of the movie... Surprise, surprise, it's a feel-good romantic movie. I'm not saying I didn't like it, because I did. I'm not saying that it's not worth your time, because it is. What I'm saying is, it felt like I was watching a movie that was reminded me of All of Me with Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin, when Lily Tomlin gets into Steve Martin's body. There's all these movies where it happens in uh, The Terminator, where you get inside a body and you're acting or, or, or Total Recall and Mission Impossible. All of these examples of movies where this happens. So there's some humor when Reese Witherspoon is in Mark Ruffalo's body, metaphorically speaking. There's some humor when Mark Ruffalo is speaking to nobody, even though to the audience, he's speaking to Reese Witherspoon. And every once in a while, they show you what it looks like to everyone else, which is speaking to the air. Reminded me of Shallow Hal in that way. Coca's reminded me that this is where the theme from Last Christmas got its storyline. I think I reviewed Last Christmas, but I have no recollection. I don't know if I saw it. I don't remember what it was. That's what happens. That's just what happens, Coca. I'm sorry. I, what did we Amelia Clark? I don't have no recollection. Oh, she works at that store. Yes. That was a cool movie. That's exactly what it's like. That's funny. Good call, Coca. But just like Kevin was there before. Anyway, if you have time and you're looking for just sort of, um, ease of watching. Ease. You're not going to cry. You may laugh audibly one time, but that's it. It's just like Kevin, Mark Ruffalo, Reese Witherspoon. They certainly have done better movies, but it's still nice to see him act. No segue to this. So you want to talk to Samson? I don't know how to segue to this topic. So I'm just going to get into it. So you want to talk to Samson? Thank you for getting into my Twitter at David P. Sampson and getting into my DMs and asking me questions. Thank you for however you're contacting me, Instagram, David P. Sampson or Carrier Pigeon, like from Enchanted. Do you agree that the University of Cincinnati should remove Marge Schott's name from its baseball stadium? That is a question that I'm really happy you asked. It's a far more complicated issue than people are saying. So background, Marge Schott used to own the Cincinnati Reds. 
Background, Marge Schott was a disgusting human being, a racist in every sense of the word, and not in the closet in any sense of the word. Everyone in baseball, and she was gone from baseball by the time I got into baseball. I think so. She died in 2004. What year, Coca, did, did Marge Schott sell the Cincinnati Reds? I'm going to say it was before I started because I'm trying to remember meeting her and I don't know whether I did. So she was very well known for being April of, so there it is, by the way, April 20th of 1999, she sold. And my first day was December 9th, 1999. So I missed her by eight months. I'm happy about that. So she was forced to sell because her racism had simply gotten out of control. She had run-ins with her black players, black employees. She was an embarrassment to baseball. She was Donald Sterling, but worse. She was Donald Sterling, the owner of the Clippers before Donald Sterling was Donald Sterling. Donald Sterling, I'm sure once you're, you're a racist, always a racist. Mars Schott had one redeeming quality. And it's hard to know whether it was her redeeming quality or her estate's redeeming quality. But she was charitable. Her estate was charitable. And she gave away a lot of money. And she gave it in places that needed it and in places that were helpful. The University of Cincinnati has a baseball stadium. She gave the money, and it's called Mard Shot Stadium. Well, now there are players at the University of Cincinnati who are going public for the first time in a long time, and they're saying, we must get rid of Marge Schott's name. Do you know that if you went across America and you went to universities, you went to every state, you would find street names, statues. By the way, do you know the difference between a statue and a sculpture? When you see a statue of a person that's a statue, a sculpture is a work of art that's not hung on a wall. It's a freestanding work of art. It's called a sculpture. A statue is a statue of a person. You see statues of people who without a doubt had questionable views of the world. They're not even questionable. They're just wrong. Back in the day of slavery, there were so many founding fathers of this country who had slaves. Thomas Jefferson. The list goes on. If we scrub the entire country of every statue, of every street name, every university name, of anyone Whoever had anything to do with having been on the wrong side of racism, we would end up in a place where an entire history would be erased. I am not in favor of erasing history because I can't do it, Coca. All right, I'm doing it. Because those who forget history are condemned to repeat it. You hear that every day. You don't think about it. It doesn't mean anything to you. I'm sorry to even say it to you, but let me try from a different angle. 
Don't you think it's important when we're teaching our children and our children's children and their children and their children's children that they understand the road that this country took that goes up through and including 2020 where it's possible now change and permanent change is coming. There are people who won't teach that about the Holocaust. There are people who say the Holocaust did not happen. And when the last person dies who survived the Holocaust, what will we have then? When the last racist dies, and I hope that day comes, when the final man, woman, and it won't be a child, when the final old man and old woman dies, Is that the end of racism? Only if we teach it and explain the way it used to be, the way it is now, and why it's wrong. But right now, there is a mad surge. And it's not just today. This has been going on for four years, maybe longer. This isn't about getting rid of Confederate flags and NASCAR. It's not about allowing anybody to kneel during the anthem. We're talking about erasing history. Why shouldn't the University of Cincinnati keep the name Marge Shot on the stadium? Because she paid for that right in perpetuity. But put a special area in that ballpark that highlights her as a woman and the racist quality she has and how the University of Cincinnati has done everything to change and be inclusive since the day of her death. The Clemson board today voted to remove John C. Calhoun's name from its honors college. I have some experience in this. There was an entire committee put together at Yale University This is off the top of my head, so I may get the exact name wrong. It was the committee to study renaming because there are colleges at Yale. Yale College is where, when you say I went to Yale, which I did not, it's called Yale College. Part of that is you live in different colleges, whether it's Pearson. There was a college called Calhoun. And people, it was called, thank you, the Committee to Establish Principles on Renaming. That's a more Yale name, right? The Committee to Establish Principles on Renaming. It was a diverse committee. They worked for months. They submitted a report that is now used by universities around the country to establish principles on when boards or when cities or municipalities, when they should rename existing buildings. If you have an opportunity to read this paper, I would think you should. And the reason I think you should is that it's not a black and white conversation. And that is not color of people I'm describing. That is me telling you it lives in the gray. It's ironic for me to talk about it because I live a life that's very much black and white. I don't believe in gray because it stops me from making decisions if something is either one way or if not, it's the other way. There's no emotion about it. There's no gray. You just see it for how it is. 
You can't do that when you're discussing whether or not to rename a building. I don't want any students at Yale to not understand who Calhoun was. I don't want any students at the University of Cincinnati to not know or understand who Marge Schott was. It's going to be very interesting as we move forward because in the sweep of this, this, this sort of tidal wave of action, people are feeling if they don't act now and act quickly, they will be on the wrong side of history and they don't want to be. From my standpoint, The way to be on the right side of history is to make sure you've got the right principles in general, and then you consistently apply those principles specifically. Let's see what the University of Cincinnati does. Let's watch this unfold over the coming weeks, months, and years. But may we never, ever forget from whence we came. One of my favorite Bud Selig stories is the former commissioner of baseball. He was a addict, a Diet Coke addict. And I'm talking about the actual brand Diet Coke. And that was fine. Not healthy. I mean, he would work out. I, I would imagine him on his treadmill drinking Diet Coke. Every owner's meeting, he would have Diet Cokes in front of him. And there was a time in baseball when Pepsi was the main national sponsor in the carbonated category of baseball. And there was a lower level PR person's job, an events person, people who put on these events, et cetera, people who were looking out for the commissioner. The sole job of this person during an owner's meeting or when Bud Seal was going to meet the press, which was often, was to make sure he didn't have a can of Diet Coke with him, to take his can of Diet Coke and pour it into an unmarked container. There was one time that he was doing a press conference. He had the can of Diet Coke in front of him. People were losing their minds because they couldn't interrupt the press conference to bring him an unmarked container. The people at Pepsi were very aware that they were national sponsors of MLB. They were very not happy that the commissioner was drinking a Diet Coke, but they also knew that he was not going to start drinking Diet Pepsi, but the agreement was he's not going to drink Diet Coke in public. Bud Selig had a refrigerator in his office and the commissioners, both he had a commissioner's office in Milwaukee where he would stay often. He had an office in New York, where the rest of Central Baseball was. I visited Bud in his Milwaukee office and his New York office. I actually am thinking, I'm not sure I ever saw Bud in his New York office. I certainly saw him in his Milwaukee office plenty. But he had a refrigerator full of Diet Cokes, one at a time. Why am I bringing this up? Because when I was in baseball, it was a Pepsi sport. Then it became a Coca-Cola sport. And word came out, that Coca-Cola is ending its national deal with Major League Baseball. All I kept thinking was, thank God Bud's not the commissioner anymore, and Rob Manford is not addicted to any sort of carbonated beverage. People are reporting this as though it's a big loss for baseball losing Coca-Cola as a national sponsor. I wanted to explain to you so you were very clear how it works. There are categories in baseball. Whenever you are selling sponsorships, 
You've got the car category, the bank category. You've got the travel category. You've got the carbonated beverage category. You have the sports drink category. You've got the iced tea category. You've got the bagel category. You've got the technology computer category of the hotel category of the motel category. You've got the healthcare category. I could go on. We can make up any category. The airline category. The question is, what level of exclusivity do you give in that category? What that means is if I do a deal with Coke, what I am saying is you will be the exclusive sponsor of Major League Baseball nationally. And it, we will therefore not do a deal with any other carbonated beverage companies. But we are going to carve out Sports drinks because we want to do a deal with Gatorade that's owned by Pepsi. We want to carve out sweetened tea. We want to do a deal with Snapple, yada, yada, yada. Then the companies do deals with individual teams. So Coca-Cola does a national deal where they play, they pay the commissioner's office, let's say $5 million a year. That money gets split amongst 30 clubs. Then they go to individual clubs. And when you see a Coke bottle in the outfield or a Coca-Cola sign in the outfield. That means Coca-Cola has done a separate deal with the team. That's called a local deal. The team takes that local revenue. They put it in the pot. That becomes part of local revenue as defined by baseball as part of revenue sharing. So Coca-Cola, while it ended its national deal because in the carbonated beverage category, which as you know, is suffering greatly, they said to themselves, it's not worth the money, but we still have local deals with teams. So they're not ending their relationship with baseball. As some have reported, they are simply going to keep it local instead of national. Not the end of the world. Only worth noting because I read it. I wanted to note it. ML Beer Challenge is day 89. We've got 11 more days of giving $1,000 a day away to an organization. Today's organization is called Color of Change. Color of Change leads campaigns that build real power for black communities. Color of Change challenges injustice. They hold corporate and political leaders accountable. They commission game-changing research on systems of inequality and advance solutions for racial justice that can transform our world. They've got quite a mission, Color of Change. The reason why I want to take organizations like this, I was doing organizations helping out people impacted by COVID for 77 days, change the beard challenge. We're still going to grow the beard until baseball starts. But we changed after day 77 to give $1,000 a day to different organizations who are helping end systemic racial injustice, who acknowledge that Black Lives Matter, not just as a saying or a hashtag, but are doing something to actually make 2020 different. That is the hope. When I found Color of Change and it was suggested, as I saw it on a list, so many lists going around of organizations, do your research. Please find an organization, do your part, whether it's $19, I keep saying 19 for COVID-19, obviously, whether it's $190, a dollar a day for $365, money is needed in order to make sure that all people have an opportunity not to get rich, not to become CEOs, but to have an opportunity 
to make choices and better choices. Part of making those choices is getting on a track to be a CEO or a business owner or an influencer, a community influencer. For all of these charities and all these organizations, they don't run it as a business because they need and count on the generosity of others. Because for them and for all time, it's not a business. And for you, it better be personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.